You're listening to the DC Real Estate Podcast, the podcast where we focus exclusively on all things local to the DMV area. Local investors, local knowledge, local experts. Our journey starts now. Hey everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of the DC Real Estate Podcast. My name is Russell Brazil. I'm an associate real estate broker with Arla Ad Properties. And I'm Sarah Frank. I'm an agent on the District Invest Group, licensed in Maryland and DC. And this week we've got uh, one of our good friends in. We're really excited to talk to him. Um, so about half our listeners are realtors themselves. So one of the things I want to talk to you about, which is something we never hear about on podcasts, right? Everyone's talking about properties, mortgage rates, lending products. Um, no one's talking about the Realtor Associations. And so we brought in immediate past president of GCAR, uh, the Greater Capital Area Association of Realtors. That's a mouthful. Harrison Beecher. Thanks for having me and keeping me relevant uh, after their... I'm a has-been now, basically, because I'm immediate past president. <laughs> I, I have a feeling that there's going to be uh, some positions in your future, I would imagine, coming up. We'll see. We'll see. Um, so a lot of people don't know what the Realtor Associations do. Um, in fact... Most realtors don't even know that they're a member of three separate organizations, right, that are all sort of interconnected. And you're involved on all three levels, the local, the state, and the national level. That's right. Yeah. So just finished up as president of the Greater Capital Area Association this past year. That was a lot of fun. It was about an eight-year process to get up to uh, earning that uh, right and honor. And at the local level, we're really more about the everyday operational and functional stuff that realtors do on the ground. So lockboxes, contracts, the things that you do to sell. But even bigger, the higher purpose that folks don't realize is both the lobbying and protection of the rules and rights we have as realtors locally, uh, and then ethics, right? Making sure that the brand we have as a Realtor, capital R, uh, is protected and the people out here acting crazy and, and making us look bad and or doing the wrong things to people that uh, just want to participate in the housing market. So there's a difference, right, between your local licensure law, so your local board of real estate, where you apply to get your license and renew, and your Realtor Association, which encompasses all of that other stuff. And a lot of folks have seen it as just a line item over the years that I just have to pay. It's like it's a, it's a renewal thing in November. I have to pay. Oh, my mm -hmm. God, what is that? But it's been really cool for me getting involved at all three of those levels to learn just all the stuff that goes into it and the stuff that went into it and even more exciting, what I think we can and should do and will do in the future as an association to stay relevant and help people. Yeah, it's interesting because one of the main things we do on the local level is provide contracts, something just so simple that allows business to happen very easily. And not all states actually operate that way. Some states like Texas and Colorado, mm -hmm. the contracts produced by the state, um, some of the northeastern states, Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, they actually create individual contracts yeah. by lawyers for every single property. Those attorney states. That's a that that's a nightmare. Can you imagine having to get a separate contract for every transaction? Well, even if you watch uh, what's a million dollar listing, all the shows, right? <laughs> They're like uh, going through all this negotiation and agreeing, but what they don't show is there's a whole second part where then they pay attorneys to go fight over the minutia of stuff. And if people come from a different area and have a different expectation, like I could not imagine. Like yeah. having to renegotiate and restructure every contract. It's like I got I think I got a little sassy when I first joined. I mean, I've only been a realtor for about a year, but I was like, oh, my gosh, why is it so expensive? Like all these fees. Mm -hmm. But now that I realize I'm not having to hire a lawyer for each transaction, it's a lot. 
very worth it. Yeah, when you a couple hundred bucks. The local association's uh, fees are about $300 for the year, right? Um, imagine having to pay a lawyer three, four, five hours on each transaction to yeah. draw up contracts. Um, so that $300 just on contracts is well worth it. Well, and even the stuff outside of what's in the contract, it's what you forget. Like, mm-hmm. I know a lot of realtors want to act like they're attorneys with all the addenda and extra things we write, but it's, I've learned anything about this market kind of transition shift, whatever, is your what you put in writing has to be super tight. And if it were mm-hmm. up to me or up to my agents to write out agreements and things every time, we'd be screwed, man. Like, people mm-hmm. get, and let like, me tell you, up. I'm a pretty smart realtor and I write a lot of addendums. Um, I've misplaced commas, mm-hmm. which have changed the intent of the, you know, the meaning of the sentence. Um, and I've screwed up and it's cost, whenever I screw up, I pay out of my pocket. So I remember I... I screwed up uh, just a comma changed the meaning of the sentence and it cost me about three grand. It's the uh, let's eat grandma versus let's eat grandma argument, right? (laughs) Uh, One simple comma. (laughs) I'll never forget that example. (laughs) And uh, I had a client last year, he came from New Jersey and he did, he found it very confusing. He was like, what do you mean? You, you're the person who writes the contract. When, when do we get the lawyer involved? I'm like, we, we just don't use attorneys. We only use attorneys to, to uh, clear the title and transfer the deeds. And that's that's their role here. Realtors are the ones making the contracts. And it it took, it probably took a month to get him comfortable with it because he was oh, yeah. his mindset was so different. Mm-hmm. And we'll have folks that come from other areas too. I don't fight what they're used to. Like that's been something, I don't know if it's a age and energy, a efficiency standpoint. Like mm-hmm. when someone's got their mind set on something, I'll say it is perfectly okay if you would like to retain your own separate counsel. However, here's the form we have to use. So mm-hmm. give them this form and get their opinion on it and see how they feel. Whatever thing they want to strike up, we can present it to the other broker, but most likely the other broker is not going to accept that. The other broker is going to say, let's go back to the standard contract. I'm not going to fight you on what you want. I'm going to let you go ahead and feel it. And then at the end, you're like, okay. I guess this is how it works here. Yeah. So the forms is one of the big parts of what we do. The local politics is obviously another important part. And it's the part that I, I'm really involved in and you're involved in quite a bit too. And that's where my, my passions lie. Yeah. Yeah. Local, state, and national, man, all three levels. Um, understanding that acronym RPAC, what it, what it has meant, the Realtors Political Action Committee. Um, and again, another kind of line item that people over the years say, oh, just another cost, 25, 50, 75 bucks, whatever our fair share is. Um, learning the importance of that, like in the city, I really felt it with Topa a few years back, right? The Tenant Opportunity to Purchase Act, seeing how our DC, our state association really pushed to get that changed and amended because it was impacting and hurting a lot of folks' pockets and transactions. Yeah. For those that don't know, Topa is the Tenant Tenant Opportunity Purchase Act, which allowed tenants to uh, match an offer to purchase property, um, which sounds like a good idea, except most of these tenants were never going to match the offer to purchase property. So they were selling these rights to third parties who would essentially blackmail the buyer and seller uh, for money to allow the allow the transaction to go forward. Legal extortion. Legal extortion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And right, if, if as realtors, if one of the things we are for is building up wealth through real estate, particularly in marginalized communities, um, Topo was allowing ro- that equity to be robbed from these people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a terrible law. It's still in the books for multifamily properties. Uh, it's off the books for single families, but you know, we still have to deal with Topo a little bit. Um, and in our, Elected leaders want to bring bring it back on single families too, yeah. right? Yeah, and we're actually fighting. <clears throat> excuse me, on the DCAR side to 
bring up a conversation specifically around consideration in Topa and who gets it. And I'll throw, there's no, this is Harrison speaking. I'm not speaking on behalf of D-Card or anybody else. My idea with Topa specifically is if you got somebody, third parties that are allowed to come in and support the tenants in their negotiation, 99% of the consideration they get has to go back to the tenant. Yeah. How mm-hmm. much would that change the incentive? Because we got a couple deals now, as you know, one of my team members is a big multifamily listing agent. And this secondary market that was created mm-hmm. is absolutely nuts. And the intention of the law, which, you know, was in that Marion Barry era to bring around and help em- empower tenants who had unscrupulous landlords kicking them out in the street with nothing to do. The intent was to help empower them. Now it just literally cranks up the price and harms the sellers and stops the transactions from even happening or puts people in such a bad situation, they got to sell below market or off or something like something crazy, which is worse. So I think if you specifically challenge that consideration and who gets the consideration, it removes the incentive for folks to come in and just meddle in a deal without actually helping the tenant. If, if, cause, and I think that will throw in its head the assertion that that mechanism actually helps because we know over the years, it's been a very, very small percentage of folks that it has helped. Yeah. And- any of these third-party people that are buying the rights, right, they could have bought it when it was on the market, right? Yeah. But they're not there to actually buy the property. They're there to blackmail and get their little piece. Yeah. Squeeze it off. So, yeah, that's one of many things associations do is help look at legal structures when, you know, elected officials who have a lot on their plate or whatever um, don't think about the impact, sometimes a disparate impact of a line item in a bill or a line item in a referendum. Uh, it's Realtor Association's job and our outstanding uh, government affairs director staff to stay on top of it, bring it to our attention. We bring it to members' attention and get it discussed. To, to and I'm people. sure it's not like this everywhere, but here in D.C. and Montgomery County, <clears throat> we actually have really good relationships with our elected leaders. Okay. Where, and it's because they see how involved we are in the community, how how much we believe in building wealth in you know not just one community, but all communities around here. Um, so we've had great relationships with our leaders, which have allowed us to get a lot of good stuff done with them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's the part that really excited me both about Realtor Association involvement, but then also just about better understanding politics. One of my good friends in Chicago, Illinois, Tommy Choi, um, who's a realtor and leader nationally, uh, said a phrase at one of our YPM retreats a few years back, said, if you're not at the table, specifically with politics, then you're on the menu. So how do you earn a seat at the table, a lot of times it's money. <laughs> okay, let's just be honest there that like the political action committees and PACs that, you know, earn their ways or, or purchase their seats at these tables are powerful because they then protect not just the interest of realtors and us trying to sell, but, but the also of homeowners. Because homeowners. Yeah. there's no there's also no association of homeowners. Right. Mm-hmm. So like who is lobbying or fighting on their behalf? And that's and, what we do. And very often when uh, elected leaders are looking for new tax, you know, new taxes, they're coming after real estate or when they're looking to make their constituents happy, they're looking at things that may restrict um, property rights. Right. Yeah, and right. at the disadvantage of one person to the advantage of, you know, another group. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we're easy targets. Easy. Um, and it's because they look at the industry, they look at homeowners, they think, oh, everyone, every homeowner is a millionaire, every realtor is a millionaire. And we, we know that's far from the truth, Correct. right? Um, the people that are really, really rich, whether it's homeowners or as, you know, in the business, it's minority and it's the majority are normal, everyday people. Just trying to figure it out. And yeah. I mean, that's the another powerful part about association involvement for me. 
this better learning that there is no kind of monolith. I think our area is so special. That's why I love living and working in, you know, DC, Maryland, Virginia, Northern Virginia, because we have such a fascinating diversity of both people and thought and income levels and, and where you're from and what you know. And getting involved in this has taught me that there is no monolith. And when there are policies that come out that are like speaking to one specific issue but disregard everything else, that's another really powerful part of not just association government affairs directors, but our boards, right? Like our, mm-hmm. our leaders to get the perspectives. Because, you know, on our board this year, man, we had some very spirited discussions from folks that give a different, like like Montgomery County in itself, man. Like up county, very different concerns from down county. Yeah. Right? Like, mm-hmm. different Nobody's thing. worrying about septic down in uh, Chevy Chase or Bethesda. <laughs> or, um, but we need people that know about septic for Absolutely. those people that live in Damascus and Brookville and, you right. know, these other places that none, none of us ever travel to. <laughs> Someone said that, like, in the state of Maryland specifically, you can have, like, the personalities, demographics, thought, the people mix of the entire country can be yeah. represented, like, in the state of Maryland. I'll say Montgomery yeah. County is kind of, you know, is its own, is diverse, but not as much as the state of Maryland. So we're fortunate to be in such a dynamic area. Right. Yeah. Well, wasn't it April who we had April on here and she said she had it. Yes. But she was like, it'd be like if everyone here is the valedictorian from wherever they're from. <laughs> yeah. Like whatever country, ethnicity, background, yes, everyone's represented, but they will be the class president of wherever yeah. they're from. Yeah. South Down County, right? I do yeah. love that you touch on the, the diversity of our region, though. So I'm originally from Boston, and uh, as many people know, Boston is a city with a lot of racial uh, problems in its history, and it's very, very segregated. Um, there's the black neighborhoods, there's the white neighborhoods, there's the Spanish neighborhoods, and here in Montgomery County, um, well, D.C. has people from all over the world, mm-hmm. literally, because every embassy is here. Um, but I live in Gaithersburg, and Gaithersburg and Rockville are almost equally quarter black, quarter white, quarter Asian, quarter Hispanic. Mm-hmm. How much more diverse can you get yeah. than that? And mm-hmm. they're awesome, awesome communities. Yeah, and it makes it so much better. I mean, I, I grew up off of uh, Lay Hill Road. I'm, I was just talking about from where we're recording now. I remember the roller skating rink up here. Like, this <laughs> part of the county is where I used to come as a kid. And my cul-de-sac, yes, it was a cul-de-sac, was legitimately the Rainbow Coalition. And <laughs> as a elementary school kid, I got to learn the difference between Korean, Japanese, Vietnamese from my friends Haben Chi, Stephen Lee, Kevin Lee, L.E. L L E E and L I, and I got to eat all their foods and hang out in their family. So like that advantage I had just That's going awesome. into life, it, it it made it when I got to interact with different people. Like nothing was like totally strange or different or weird. It was like interesting, and that's what. Some uh, ask like, why is it so expensive to live around here? Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the you're definitely one of the benefits. Yeah, I'm from uh, Southern Maryland, St. Mary's County, mm-hmm. and I always tell like I didn't really know a single Jewish person yeah. until I went to University of Maryland. And then all my friends were suddenly Jewish and I got to, you know, encounter this amazing culture and I met people who were I didn't know there were different types of Asians. Same yeah. as same as what you got to grow up with. Mm-hmm. So I feel like coming to that earlier in life is such a benefit. That's why my friends who grew up in MoCo, I'm just really jealous. <laughs> but hey, it's better than never. I used to ride down uh three oh one. My mom's family is uh Tidewater, Virginia. So like Waldorf to the plate at Harry Nice Bridge. Like, that was my commute to go visit my grandma as a kid. So I know that area. Yes, yeah, so if you veer off and keep going south, like uh-huh. 45 more minutes, get to where I'm from Leonardtown. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All the way down. Yeah. And then some of the other things the local association does is we have community service committees really mm-hmm. giving back to charity. Do, they're really hands on, uh, do a lot of things. Um, there's the ethics cases. That's sort of the, the negative side, right? We have mm-hmm. to. We're a self-policing organization, right? So we are uh, trying to get unethical 
behavior out of the industry. And yes, there is a decent amount of it. And that's a sad process. But you're also involved at the state level yeah. with DC. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, well, DC is interesting because it is both sort of local and it's, a, you know, we consider it a state. Um, maybe, uh, you know, parts of the country don't, but we do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, one day, right? Hopefully, and, uh, yeah, momentum is there. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I wear a lot of statehood stuff, so hopefully it'll be heard. But yeah, state level is really more focused on policy legislation. Um, and, you know, immediate past president Tom Daly put a lot of effort into trying to further the reach and scope of what our state association does. And that's been the desire of a lot of last leaders to level it up, kind of like Maryland uh, does a lot of different things as well. But that's the, the next level up to technically oversees your local. Yeah, I'm really excited with some of the things Tom implemented with uh, getting a bunch of new committees. Yeah. Um, so traditionally, our D.C. association had really just one committee, the Public Policy Committee. And um, Tom, I think, starting five new committees. Yeah, is Women's Council, Global, Business and Development, YPN, and no, yeah, Commercial. And then yeah. developer council, like two separate ones. Um, yeah. But that's great because not only is it going to give more opportunities for our members to get involved, but really is going to help build the power of that state association because yeah. um, the D.C. association is about 3,300 members, which is generally small for a state association. But West Virginia is about the same amount of members, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just we sort of gets overshadowed because our local association's huge, yeah, thirteen thousand, um, and it's a really interesting and different dynamic too. That yeah. has always been being in leadership on both. Interesting for me to navigate because there was a lot of tension that I don't know if you ever noticed or saw it from uh, from some people, yeah, from the past, right? Yeah. From, from the past because DC hadn't gotten its its respect that it wanted. So I am always a fan of elevating a brand of something I'm a part of. And that's something that, um, again, our buddy, immediate past president Tom was really aggressive about doing in a short window. And at the end of the day, man, when there are more touch points for people to be involved in some way and to, if you can feel better about showing up because you know, you've got a stake, a say you are taking action within a group, that's always better. There's nothing bad about that, right? Like if it drives engagement and gives us more touch points, gives me a reason to know you better when we do a deal together, like, Community, like I always say, when you make your world bigger, nothing bad happens. So, like, I'm all for it and look forward to the next couple of years of that. Yeah, you really touch on a thing there. One of the things I tell people when I'm saying, hey, join a committee is the networking opportunities. Yeah. How much easier is it to get your, to get your offer accepted um, by a big mega agent over here if you have actually a relationship because you've served mm -hmm. on the committee with them? Yeah. Um, and they know your character. They know you're going to close the deal because they just spent God knows how many hours with you trying to fight for you know, some other cause. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's real, man. Like touch points and connection are always good. Like I feel like one of the skills that might have gotten, I'll say lost or was not as good in the, our last couple of years of being trapped in the house and on podcast together only um, is <laughs> the connection, man, and, and finding a way to, you know, have points of reference that we can locate so that we got something to talk about. And when I when I get all these offers that come across my desk, which I hope happens again one day. Um, Optimism. Optimism. <laughs> yeah. one day. That will happen. It's going to be a big year. We all want as many buyers as we can get right now and no Please sellers, right? Yeah. Please write the offer. Please write the offer. Um, that if I know you, it just makes it that much easier mm -hmm. and gives me confidence because right so much of our job is being able to relay confidence when a people-to-people -people business, I'm looking my seller in the eye, they're like, well, what do you know about this person? And I'm like, well, I don't know much about the buyer, but their agent mm -hmm. actually worked in the association with blah, blah, blah. Like, that's a good thing. I've literally seen that in my seller's eyes. I'm like, oh, cool. You vouch yeah. for them? But I can't vouch for you if I don't know about you. So yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the right one of the first questions we ask an agent when we receive an offer from them on our listing is, "What can you tell me about your lender?" Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. If they can vouch for that lender, yep, I know. I don't really have to look into that lender too much. Oh, they did thirty deals with that lender. Yeah. Um, oh, you've never used that lender. Well, how do I know if this is even going to close? Right. Yeah. Yeah. The ability to vouch for someone um, is immense, and you know, in this hyper competitive market, vouch. That's such a powerful and impactful word because to me, it has always come back to people having access. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I can vouch for you if we both have access to the same space. So we can both be in the same space together. Um, and that's I know one of our other passion points when we're going to talk about is like, how do you then make both our associations, our real estate spaces, our groups bigger so that more folks can get inside and be at least close to it to be able to have the opportunity to know and connect? Because if you you know, want to connect and get to know, but are never invited in, never know how to get there, like it makes it hard for somebody to vouch for you if nobody knows who you are. Actually, that's a good segue into sort of this topic, particularly in the local level, is um, I feel like we've been doing a really good job getting affiliate members involved, right? Those are the people that are join our association that are not not real estate agents. They're mm-hmm. lenders, title attorneys, um, movers. Inspectors. Um, junk removal inspectors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we'll take anyone as a member, mm-hmm. um, allow them to give their input, and we're actually – we're going to be, I believe, creating a board spot, right, yep. for an affili- for, the on the local level for an affiliate member, because um, our affiliates are in this battle yeah. with us um, as well. well. If we're all out here working to serve our clients and the public better, like, why don't we have better connections and talk? Like, we have the same goals, and it's been this interesting transactional thing in the past, which isn't bad, right? We love checks. We love sponsors. But, like, how do you deepen the relationship and connection so that when things change, when things get harder, when things get weird, we can all talk together quicker. And it's not just a transactional relationship. So that's mm-hmm. what, and it's been a very, if I can comment on how that has been different at the state and national level, there's always been this like stiff arm, like I'll take your check, but don't get too close to me vendor person because you just want my business. I'll take, so it's like, I'll take your money and give me the opportunity to have business, but I'm not going to pull you and not going to let you have a seat at the table next to me. Like well, that's the, such a weird thing. The immediate past president of the Maryland uh, realtors is actually an affiliate yeah, member. Um, yeah. So uh, what is it? Insurance. Home warranties. Home warranties. Home warranties I was, yeah. Uh, yeah. So he sells home warranties and uh, he worked all, his way all the way up to the presidency of Maryland realtors, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, which is significant. So we're going to, you know, it's all about adding in, like, with what we do in sales and with such a dynamic and diverse place, like I think, like I said multiple times, it's good to have as many people here sitting at this table talking, especially as stuff's about to change. All right, we're back after just a little bit of technical difficulty. Let's swing now to the national level. So you're really involved in the national level as well. Yeah, yeah. And that's the national level, man, has been so fascinating. At first, I was just kind of voluntold, and it started through YPN, a Young Professionals Network, um, and then for me, transitioned into more national RPAC roles with Participation Council and Major Investor Council. Um, and then in the last year, I moved over to the Broker Engagement Council, which I, again, a lot of the a lot of the stuff nationally is who you know, who believes in you, who's seen you around to give you a shot. And they fill roles and slots and have to fill them regionally and have to make everybody happy. So I was kind of a person that was raised my hand and just said yes and thank you when I got there. Um, but then my upcoming role for 23 and 24 will be with the meetings and events committee where I get to help plan our and our annual conference, which is going to go from Anaheim to what was it, Vegas to 
Anaheim, but it, now it's where is it? Anaheim and Boston. Yeah, it's going to be Anaheim this Anaheim upcoming year, Boston. and then Boston next year. Um, and then our our mid year or legislative conference here in DC. Because I, you know, a little bit of snapshot into my business. I really think about events at a high level, how they can engage people, the impact they can have on folks. And I think if we can do a little bit better with our events and give people a reason to come and have a good time. That will give people another. I think I saw that Cokie's on the meeting and events committee this year, too. I believe he would be. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be a good time then. Yeah. Good, good representation for our region, which really one of the things we like at the national level is that our realtors getting out there, making the whatever case it might be for our region, because we love our region the best. Right. Yeah, man. And we look, we get to do. I think we got to like all the reasons I said before, man, we got a very diverse subset of people um and i think the way we think about stuff the way we operate the way we transact are, is pretty legit in our region so yeah and so you're on the also by virtue of being present this past year in the media past present you end up on the nar board of directors i got to serve on that you with that yeah. this year so it was really i found it fascinating yeah. the governance meetings yeah. and seeing how this Huge, huge organization is run, right? We have 1.6, low over 1.6 million members nationwide. Um, and the impacts that we can have, and sometimes, right, sometimes the impacts we don't have because we can't get everyone on board with certain initiatives. Yeah, being on the board, I guess, like board of directors now would have been my fourth year maybe on it. Yeah, probably would have been fourth or fifth year. Well, let me think. So you were secretary, president-elect, president Media past presence says at least your fourth year. At yeah. least fourth. Yeah, year yeah. four, I believe. Um, and there's other ways you can get on the board of directors just by virtue of your position that you have. Correct, um, yeah. Um, being in that room and hearing some of the stuff that is discussed, because it impacts all realtor members, and mm-hmm. by virtue of impacting realtor members can impact a lot of the public, too. Um but it still is so funny because I tell my wife about it and I'm like, yeah, I have to stay for a couple extra days after convention. She's like, what, for another meeting? Like, <laughs> what else are you guys doing? What are you talking about? Like, well, I have to vote on a BlackBerry about things that matter to all of our association. And one of the things actually we did vote on this year is something that's sort of a specialty in my wheelhouse. So we, we talked about we've made a vote on making a recommendation to the appraisal, whatever their association mm-hmm. is on standards which would make it easier for uh people to become an appraiser because as of now this is still blows my mind every time i say this 97.5 percent of all appraisers are white men yeah Mm -hmm. it is one of the least diverse um professions that exist and it's connected to almost every transaction i mean almost every transaction is using financing of some kind right so that has been a really exciting thing for me to see move along uh our professional standards and core standards uh updates as of a couple years ago like including hate speech uh as something that realtors can be brought on local state and national realtor association charges on uh, was important and that debate was like wild to be a part of. And I haven't, I've only spoken up a couple times at national and I spoke up at that one. This pandemic too, it was all on zoom. But the fact that people were like more afraid of this amorphous persecution of the majority saying that like the woke Bob's going to come get me. If I talk about who I am, I'm like, bro, this, you I mean, how hard is it to like, really, how hard is it to to <laughs> not say racist things, not say homophobic things. That's the things. question of the century. Yeah. <laughs> and, there, and there were little and the and as that and as of that vote, it was only like fifty-seven to forty something, right? Yeah, forty. Like very close because most of these votes so are scary. 
99% to one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a big swing. But, uh, but that one, but also it, the perspective I have gained from being on that national board seat is to see what a different area we are in. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't hate people who think differently than me. Um, it is confusing sometimes, right? Like how someone could do their whole lived experience, but it also from having one-on-one conversations with folks after shows that their world and lived experience is so different. And I guess I've been fortunate in some cases where they will listen to me and hear like why we disagree and why things are different, but that national board seat and seeing what people discuss, what their Mm -hmm. priorities are, what they vote on and how they vote. It just shows they have a completely different world. And because we are a nonpartisan organization and of our members nationally, about half of them are right leaning and about half of them are left leaning. Yeah. Like the country. And it's one of the reasons actually why we are such a powerful lobbying organization, because right when we endorse candidates, we aren't doing it because they're Democrats or they're Republicans. We're, we're lobbying both. Mm -hmm. We're making both our preferred candidates. And that's why we're able to get so much done. And I always sort of view the realtor party as having two main pillars, one being a left-leaning pillar, one being a right-leaning pillar, Mm -hmm. the left-leaning being fair housing, fair marketplace, Mm -hmm. diversity, equity, inclusion, and the right-leaning one being, you know, property rights and business friendliness. Um, And so we're able to get a lot done for both of those pillars. The way I thought about it is uh, we always want to make the tent big enough to welcome people in. But you got to build the tent, too. Yeah. And like, there can't be restriction in actually building it. And that's a lot of times, uh, you know, one specific party will be so far focused on one side. So that has been a really cool thing to see, you know, the overall impact of it, um, even if there are some individual decisions that especially at the president circle and there's different levels you can invest in. Um, and at the higher levels, you can direct your funds to specific realtor champions or parties or caucuses or groups. Um, and the last couple of years, that has clearly been controversial. There have been major party decisions that even though that's what half our members agree with, like around here, it's been a big problem because it's not mm-hmm. what we agree with. Um, so it, it's been a growth journey for me and leadership to both have a little bit more empathy, but also, I don't say draw a line, but understand kind of where I stand personally, but not let that impact the work that I try to do in association that does have to impact and take into account different lived experiences from my own. Yeah, and there's the opportunity too where if something is important to you in this realm, so like, right, code of ethics, uh, standard practice 10 5, right? No hate speech. Yeah. Um, which, is an incredibly important thing, but we have a we have a friend who's trying to keep pushing it even further. He wants it so we don't endorse, and I think that's a great idea. We don't endorse endorse candidates that would violate our own uh, right code of ethics ten dash five. Logical path for me, yeah, like that seems logical to me. But that's a hard thing to overcome, right? Because, um, but uh. Well, I'm, I'm on board with that fight. Stay there for a second, because this is something that in my and I'm no longer in anything in leadership in the RPAC space. So I was on major investor council, was on participation council, which is talking about like how to both fundraise for the money, but then how the money is dispersed First. to folks, too. Right. And the how the money is dispersed was a tension point because it was saying, like, how are we going to, you know, potentially remove a realtor members uh, ability to be a part of this organization for something they say or do when there are folks with much bigger platforms that say even crazier stuff, yeah. but they get millions of our dollars, right? Um, that that to and me, I is think a, they're really connected because if we are dispersing the money to people that are engaging in hate speech, 
it's going to make it hard for us to raise money from half of our members. Correct. And we and we and you saw that. I mean, yeah. it was it was a real. I mean, again, th- things kind of balance out in those times. But like, if you say we are purple, which again historically we have been, right? Purple meaning red and blue equal because mm-hmm. we represent 1.6 million folks. You're not going to get all of one dominant color um, or or political affiliation. And and even on another side, it brings the kind of craziness. We got friends from around the world of, of just a two-party system, right? It shows like yeah. how that is a, a thing that probably needs to get looked at. I don't know if it happened in our lifetime, but with the system we got now, knowing that you're going to have someone that's upset um, each time, it's just how do we hold the same standard to our dollars that we do to our members? And I, I'd like to see that con- conversation continue to move forward and at a minimum get people to give a good answer Beyond just, well, this is a realtor champion that's done a good job for us in the past. I was like that. And, you know, I've seen some of our members speak up on the issue and get shouted down, too. Um, Saw Bonnie Roberts Burke get shouted down on this very issue. She's Um, very vocal about and at every level. And she, again, defends D.C., defends like what I think of as kind of thoughtful democracy, if you will. But Mm -hmm. but, you know, that's and that's the, the beautiful and powerful part is that you can have leaders that can be on completely opposite sides of it. And and it was cool to see through 2020 and 2021, really, where there were folks who disagreed but had to listen. And then on some major issues, um, specifically race and and diversity, equity, inclusion, even folks that didn't want to go there had to. Um, and I'd hope that on the other side of it now, some of those same folks that said, well, this doesn't matter. This didn't make a difference from being kind of forced to sit in the room and listen and hear from, you know, folks like me, folks like my Guzman, like we had a bunch of national leaders that really had to speak up. Um, and, and hopefully the needle was moved a little bit, right? Uh, <laughs> a little bit, but In- it's incremental like, small movements and yeah. they can, they, it very well can make a big impact over the course of time. All right. So. I always believe that we constantly have to be fighting for these things. Um, it's just changing someone's mind 1% today, 1% next year, yeah. 30 years, we might win them over. Yeah. Um, and it's a whole spectrum, man. That's again, that, that both national board involvement, national committee involvement. Cause when you're on a national committee or lead a national committee, you have representation from all 50 states and mm-hmm. some of the territories and, and other spots. Even, even on our local level, right? Where m- most of our members in the local level are going to be of like mind to us. There was a lot of pushback against your D&I. Um, there was. Uh, there was, yeah. Stuff we wanted to do. It was, uh, it was interesting, man. So President uh, Charlie Opler in uh, 21 challenged all committee leaders at the national level to uh, take three separate sets of education and show their commitment to, vers- to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and we mirrored that here. Um, and and I, look, in hindsight, there, it was a response to the moment in many ways. And I always, and I still contest in my head, that it was not that hard to do, right? Like of all the things you can do to, you know, respond to a significant socio-political situation in our world, our country, our city, and everywhere, like this is the least you can do, You right? can sit in your PJs for two hours. Take, and take a couple classes. Was that the main pushback that you had on it was just the time it takes? It was not the time. It was, Yeah. No, time was a part of it. But another piece was just like, and here's, and I've, I've thought about this a lot. I've had to think about this a lot. Realtors, business people at a high level mm-hmm. are very self-actualized. There's a lot of confidence we have to have to like be good at this. And for us as an association, as the body over them to look at a wide swath of them and say, hey, you're really good at a lot of stuff, but here's something you missed. Yeah. I'm going to force you to sit down and learn this. Yeah. That's a really 
frustrating and 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 to some people kind of scare i think it's a fear thing for them to because because for folks to come to that class and say i'm going to be i have to be a dei champion i have to sit through this training about um the history and legacy of racism how it impacts so many things about how bias works that's admitting that you don't actually know the detail of it because a lot of folks especially even south montgomery county right that have a diverse set of folks they interact with were only at surface level on a lot of those interactions. And they they were never in a place where they had to get really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. or get deeper about problems that still exist in our shiny and diverse and nice area. Mm -hmm. That's what I think was at the core of people's frustration with it. And also their bosses, like real estate folks, you are your own boss. So in any situation where you tell an independent, successful, rich, wealthy person that you have to do this, you're going to get pushed back. But people don't like being what to do. Was it... it an age thing, like generally the people who are complaining were a little were on the older side. Because I feel like people I know who are younger agents, we've been doing these DNI trainings for since we can remember. You know, I did the first ones in middle school. It was just more of a standard. Like every school you went to, every club you joined would have a component. It's like built into most. I think clubs. most of the complaints I heard were from people in the old middle age or older spectrum. right so yeah. maybe it is a general and hopefully i'm hoping it's a generational thing so that means it'll maybe get phased out a little bit but with the expectation i don't know anyone in the 20s early 30s yeah. who were complaining about it because they it's just what you well, do gen z is just different man y'all are just different on, on every on every category of, of different folks I'm, yeah I'm, I'm assuming that you're, i'm you're, a millennial by like a year okay you're i'm gonna edge, gra- i'm gonna edge. hold on to that hold year on, hold on, hold on, i don't right. want the labels that yeah. come with the gen z it used to be the people that didn't like millennials either so i think I know, it's just whoever's each young one, each one you're just past yeah. but, <laughs> but to, to russell's point like look slightly more seasoned uh demographic because they both but it's not just people would uh, people would think that it's the right-leaning people who don't like wokeness no, that would no, be no. opposed to it. There's just as many liberals that yeah, were yeah. opposed. Well, and this. again, because that's, I think, race um, and how you interact with race is a really personal thing, right? And especially to a person who has a diverse group of folks they've interacted with at some <laughs> level, who is in an area that is open and inclusive and positive and X, Y, Z, um, to challenge them and say, there's more you need to know. There's more. There's you need to dig deeper into this. Like I'm, I'm telling you, you don't know everything. Even, even I'm saying this is a, as a young black man. There was stuff through Fairhaven and Bias Override that, while there were parts of the lived experience I was close to, like there were things that were refreshers for me and all of it. One of the things I really like, particularly in Fairhaven, is the focus on unconscious bias. Right. So a lot of the pushback we always get from people is, I don't need this. I'm not racist. Correct. Right. Yeah. It's not about being openly racist. It's about the biases that society instills in us, right? And we're sometimes we're conscious of these, but many times we're just not conscious of these. So, right, we're not out there trying to tell you you're racist. We're saying, let's recognize these sort of ingrained beliefs we have that society has pushed on us. Let's recognize them. Let's talk about them. Let's learn from them. And look, if you're going to be interacting with people, like here's... I had to make so many appeals. I'm like, there's the personal, do this for your soul, do this for your heart, do it because you should. Do it for your business, man. Like, like, why would you not want additional tools that can help you be better to people? Even if you don't want to, even if you don't feel like different folks deserve that, like that's something that if you really are serious about our realtor code of ethics and all the things you promised to do when you said you were going to be not just a real estate agent, but a realtor, this is another tool that helps you be better at that. So like that was my business appeal to folks that made sense. And also it was like dispelling and it did happen more often with um, 
trying to your well intentioned white ladies a lot. Right? <laughs> I'm just being blunt, right? That like were that that were again by no one would ever say are racist. No one yeah. would ever say are bigots or any of those things. But it's a different kind of insulated experience that, that that you were never forced to be a little bit uncomfortable and and in kind of a mischievous but mischievous but uh truthful way i look at that that demographic and say yeah you got a little uncomfortable didn't you and that and that was the goal like that's the the goal of going through anything like that is is making you uncomfortable with the intention of growing because on the other side of it when you have an interaction in the future that you feel like in the past was innocuous or some little comment or something you would have said or didn't say I'd argue that anyone that goes through Fairhaven, the bias override, um, and also does at home with diversity is going to have some different things swirling around in their head in another interaction. And that's the goal. And it's not, it's not to completely change a behavior, remove a behavior. It's to add something extra so that you one, you know, at a minimum kind of avoid offending somebody, screwing up and messing up our brand and getting sued, getting fined, getting whatever, getting whatever. And then at a maximum, you create a space where there is someone who is different from you that because of how you showed up, communicated to them, how you supported them, they feel so welcome. They feel so heard that you're going to be able to do more business with them and they're going to be encouraged by the interaction they had with somebody that's also a realtor. Right? Like that, that, that optimal top end of it is what I think can and will happen. But it's just like getting people to get there in the first place to realize that like, Either end of that spectrum is a good thing. Like either either one of those outcomes is good. And whatever makes you angry and says, I don't want to do this because of the time, because I know it, because I'm not racist, because I'm whatever that is, these outcomes here are so much better than the other side of it where you say, like, I don't need that. <laughs> you know. So I was very proud of our DNI committee, our board, everybody that actually committed and helped us get quite a few folks uh, enrolled in that DNI program. Yeah, and for those that don't know, we passed a rule at the local level that if you were going to be a committee member or be a member of our board, you were going to have to complete this three-step DNI um, certification. And uh, with a couple months to go, it was looking dire. <laughs> we needed about 200 uh, members to complete this, and yeah. we were at like 90. Um, but in the end, uh, we actually got 50% more people to complete it than we needed. So yeah. we got up to 300 people when we needed about 200 people. So we ended up blowing what we needed out of the water. Um, mm-hmm. we didn't hit our personal goals for, I think we wanted, I think the DNI committee wanted to get a thousand members certified. We didn't hit that, but we, we got enough that we were able to meet our goals and, we're going to keep adding to these numbers right next year. Hopefully next year we can double it or something close to that. Um, but this is also allowing GCAR to be a leader on the national stage, right? When I talk to other people at NAR Annual, they're like, y'all are doing what? Mm-hmm. You're making people do it. What? <laughs> so why not creating it? I'm just spitballing here. I have no experience in, you know the politics side of this, making it a, a CE credit that you have to do. Uh, so we give people CE credits for the at home with diversity, um, the, which Selected. is one of the three legs. Right. So we are getting people CE credits. Okay. Um, but people would rather go take a commercial so, CE credit so instead, of having, do- instead of having their own embracing their own, uh, yeah. their own well, biases. Well, and, and, I, and I guess this is the part too, that the national experience and just the conversations I've had has helped me mature in my convos. Like it is easy to say like, oh, come on, don't be an asshole. Or like mm-hmm. to say something to that extent that like kind of choose out the person that chooses not to do it. Um, but when you dig into some of the reasons, while the reasons aren't that valid or, or valid in the right word, but aren't that compelling right. in our eyes, like mm-hmm. they really 
believe that like they're good or they didn't mm-hmm. need it or whatever. Um, but then on the other side of it, I have had quite a few come back and say, okay, like I did actually learn something and a couple even apologized to me that had like called. Cause again, my leadership style is I'm look, you know, I'm open, like talk to me, like, let's, if we're going to debate, we're going to talk about it. We're going to disagree. Like, let's go. I'll take it. And I think a lot of the people always think that these classes are just going to be about how do white people and black people interact. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's far beyond that. There's a, there's a lot of, and I forget which class, but a folk, Focus on foreigners, right? So mm-hmm. just think about all the people we interact with that are not American, right? And do not even think the same ways we are. So it's about trying to understand completely different cultures as well. <laughs> Cultural competency, which is a, a skill that like more Americans need to have, right? And more people yeah. need to have, like, especially folks that if you have the desire to make a lot of money in real estate, how do you do that? Either I sell a lot of high, a few high price properties, or like most people, I'm going to sell more modest mm-hmm. and you know middle of the road properties. That mm-hmm. means I'm going to have to interact with more people. How do I close them? I got to have more contracts. How do I get more contracts? I got to have more leads. How do I get more leads? I got to talk to more people. Yes. So like, why not add a tool in your toolbox that makes you better at that? Like that's the part in my head where I got frustrated. I'm like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to do it? Mm-hmm. But to the folks that are successful, things like, well, what I've what I have been doing has worked. Why would I do something different? And it's like <laughs> so immigrants are making up more and more of the country's GDP every year. They are a huge consumer class and will continue to grow for so the foreseeable future. The so let's buy them some houses. Yeah. yeah. And they, and it's, I think it's the opposite. There's lots of ways to be ignorant about this. Right. But I feel like the worst one to me is the one saying, well, we'll just treat everyone the exact same. Yeah. People have different needs, different cultural needs. Um, you know, even interability. Italy thinks about things completely different than someone from Turkey or someone from Kenya. Mm-hmm. We have to understand the mindset of all these different cultures. Yes. Or, and at least know enough to ask. Yeah. Say, hey, hey, what's the best way that I should help? I want to mm-hmm. help support you through this transaction. Are there any things that are different about how you right. like to do business or that, that you expect in it, right? And that's that's the the most powerful thing to me in an interaction is when I learn something new about somebody and we reach some type of new common ground. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. And it's something I then save for a future interaction to know right. that I can better serve someone different from me. And as a real estate practitioner, it's so important too, because one of my first clients was a culture different from my own. And I didn't realize there would be more decision makers in the transaction than, yeah. than you know, I'm like a white client. I'm like, oh, it's going to be you. And, you know, maybe your dad will come to the inspection and mm-hmm. jam things up. But with, you know, a different culture, they might have enter, you know, different generations that'll be living there with them. Mm-hmm. There's lots of different decision makers to consider. And so you learn more as a practitioner when you decide that you're going to be less shut in about, you yeah. know, learning how to deal with different cultures. So And there's so much power in what... We know in real estate, like I've said it a lot, that privilege is really quantified as a roadmap, right? It's a roadmap of knowing kind of what to do in what order. Mm -hmm. And when there are communities that have not had access to that roadmap or that privilege, we know there's things that we just take for granted about like applying for credit, applying for a loan, Mm -hmm. like, like these simple steps that like, especially to, you know, foreign communities, other communities, immigrant communities, they don't know. So if we can be a bridge that better kind of connects and communicates the roadmap we know with just a space and openness and honesty to be able to communicate, that's all it takes sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, one of the, I think one of the most important things I, I talk to people of certain communities of is they don't believe they can actually achieve home ownership. Yeah. And I'm like, let, let me give you the step one, two, three, four, five step. process. I know it's expensive. I'm going to show you how to, Hey, we're going to show you how to rent out other rooms in your, or rent out your basement or buy a multifamily to make it so you can afford 
to buy a home and start building wealth that way because mm-hmm. no one's ever told them that this was possible. Yeah. And in a lot of um, especially folks that are recent immigrant first generation, like it was not an option. Like mm-hmm. like our financing system and goes back to what realtor associations do, a 30 year fixed mortgage. Right. Mm-hmm. Like as a financial instrument, that wasn't something that banks just decided like, hey, you know what we're going to do? You know, we're going to do things at 97 percent loan to value, 100 percent loan to value, because that makes sense. No. In a mm-hmm. banking sense like that really doesn't yeah. make as much sense. But mm-hmm. That's where realtor associations came in to help create mechanisms that opened ownership to more people. Right. Um, and there's folks that are coming here that are literally foreign to these concepts of owning with such little capital out of pocket. But then you actually get to own and build that equity over time and do something that like can change an entire family's trajectory Mm -hmm. in one generation. So like that's, you know, at the core of all the stuff we were talking about, Rush, you know, it was like for one, it was being, you know, consistent with what was happening nationally. The second to me was like helping give our local agents more tools to just do better and be better. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the third was like, how do we like as realtors, impact more folks with what we do and actually move a needle. Because if you look at some of the ownership percentages, even in a very diverse and prosperous, you know, prosperous area, we still got a lot of work to do to to spread that love and spread that wealth amongst all communities. We want to get all communities with high levels of home ownership. But then even within that, right, um, as we touched on earlier with appraisals, um, we want wealth to be able to freely build up in these communities. Right. And there's a lot of there's a lot of walls in the way to this. Yeah. We're fighting, you know, um, one of the, one of these fights, I was on the conventional financing policy committee for a couple of years and, you know, we studied racial bias and appraisals. And one of the things is we didn't have the data on it. And just last year, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac finally released a report, um, where we studied how often appraisals were coming in below the contract price in different census tracts. And so the report was, my stats are probably a little bit off, but they'll be within a percentage. In white census tracts, uh, appraisals came in below the contract price about 6 or 7% of the time. Mm-hmm. In African-American census tracts, about 12% of the time. And in Hispanic census tracts, 16% of the time. Mm-hmm. Right? And when, when that happens, right, in a poorer community, what, what happens? The deal falls apart or the seller just says, screw it, I'll sell it for this lower number. Right? Yeah. And now they're being robbed of that buildup in equity. And then each of those sales becomes a comparable sale for another property. Um, so we get to continue to fight, not just to increase home ownership rates, but allow wealth to be built up in, you know, in every area as the market would allow it to go up and not create these walls or impediments to it. Yeah, sure. Um, but let me ask you two questions sort of in closing. Um, you finishing, you just finished years of presidency. Are there any things that you are particularly proud about um, that you got to accomplish? Mm. Well, coming back out of the pandemic, right, and the reduced opportunities people had to connect, like one of my favorite things about association work at all levels was just a chance to get together, man. And Realtors are social beasts by social nature. Social beasts, right? That's what we're supposed to do. So I was really proud of our uh, installation we did last year. I was really proud at mid-year of, uh, of that reception, being able to do a, you know, more formal. <laughs> Sorry for everybody that got COVID there at it. Was <laughs> I was time. one of the people I got COVID at that event. My first time, too. My first time, too. Baby, my wife is not too happy with that. Um, but, you know, this is where we're at. Um, and then for Avi, too, you know, last week, being able to create a type of interest and energy around association stuff that I think was a little bit different, right? Um, and that encouraged a different group of folks to show up and want to come, right? Because there's been 
kind of two historic approaches to association engagement. One is like, well, I go up there when I have to because my lockbox is messed up and, yeah. then, you know, whatever. Um, and then the other one is like, well, you know, someone invited me and I guess I'll go check this thing out. It is my hope, because I've seen this around the country, where I've gone to speak and teach at other associations, that involvement um, and being a part of it, being at our GCAR events is something that people like block off on their calendar and look forward to. We, we throw good parties. We throw good parties. I hear this from other associate, uh, you know, reps from the other associations are always like, GCAR's got the best party. There we go. Yeah. And, 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 and there's a lot of good that happens in those two, uh, because it hopefully, like I said, introduces between newer agents, folks that have been around for a while and, and just have come back. I heard that from a lot of different ones that, this feels different. And this was a really good time. So I was really proud of us doing that. Um, and then, you know, with I think what we were able to do between uh, GCAR Cares, the emergency relief, like I always looked at association resources as this, you know, significant pool of, of funds and money that, that comes as a part of what our dues fund, but then also with just the generosity of our members. How do we better circulate that? We were able to help quite a bit of people this year. We we a, lot a lot of our, of our own people. members. A lot of our own members. So that's, I always think about vertical integration of, of people and experiences. So if I'm getting a lot of people together and we're doing, you know, we're having a good time, we're doing good work, right? Sell a lot of houses, whatever. How do we then do some real good with it? And I think, uh, you know, culturally that was something we'd always talked about, but we got a little bit more tactical and strategic about like that good being deployed and, and mm -hmm. touching more people. So. And my last question is, what's next for you with uh, Realtor Association? So you're going to cycle here off of GCAR, yeah. um, but you're still involved with DCAR, still involved with the NAR. So what's next for you? It's going to ride my horse slowly into the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, um, you know, if it, I got two years on meetings and events, um, so I'm, I'm curious to see how that will go and what impact I'm actually able to have um, from being there. Um and making those events better, which will be fun. Uh, and then at the state level, if it is the the will of the leadership and members, I would love to continue to, uh, you know, go up in leadership at the state level for D.C. Um, and, you know, continue to hopefully encourage more folks. Something, if I give another shout out before we wrap up, um, Tom Daly was extremely intentional and good about leadership succession. And it was something that Avi talked about at, uh, you know, the G-Car installation. How do we encourage and get more people to want to be involved. Um, and I and the people I want, Russ, are the folks that are actually transacting and selling. And no shade to, you know, some of our uh, other uh, realtor volunteer leaders that just do more volunteering than, than selling, because um, that's nice. You got a lot of time. But I want the energy and thought and minds of active practitioners to to carve out a little bit, a little bit of their time for this, because it has enriched what I'm able to do for clients, it's given me a different perspective. It's made my world bigger in terms of connections and relationships. So that's my goal is that I hope I get more um, active uh, and, and, and top level folks to continue to be involved and help us out. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think a lot of people don't realize it can help grow your business. Um, just the visibility out there, the referrals you can get. I get a lot of referrals from Maryland agents that don't have DC licenses that see me on the board and they're they're like, I like you. You're out there. You're, you're helping our industry. And they refer to me, right? It, so yeah. it can help grow your business. It has tangible monetary uh, benefits. Yeah. When you show up in the right way. Yeah. Right? Like show up in the right way, do good work. People are going to notice and opportunities. You will grow opportunities from your input and effort. Yeah. So tell our listeners. I have a feeling a lot of our listeners already follow you on social media. But if, if you guys don't, tell us where we can find you. I'm on Instagram at HL Beach. Uh, and then our team. 
Coalition Properties. I'm always wearing at least two or three pieces of uh, Coalition swag at all times. It's on Instagram at Coalition Properties or CoalitionPG.com. I'm glad you're always wearing swag because Sarah makes fun of me for always wearing a uh, well, wear swag, cool baby. stuff like the champion. Yeah. I probably wear those. Oh, so if I get a champion sweatshirt, then, then that's okay. Yeah. Hey, I will say material does make a difference in swag adoption. So we got to send you our vendors. Right. We got some good stuff. The durability of the swag is very important. Yeah. All right. So we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the DC Real Estate Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to contact the hosts, reach out to them at info at dcrealestatepodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you access your podcasts.